us then with confidence, drawn near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to heaven. We are in this series uh, exploring this book. We're in chapter 5, verse 11. Let's go there now. The author says, Concerning him, we have much to say. The author is referring here to Melchizedek and how Melchizedek, this enigmatic, esoteric, Old Testament figure, relates to Christ. And he says, And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we unfold this text together, that you would work within your word, that we might be receptive to all truth, that we would be discerning about a possible need for correction in us. We're open to you. We believe in you. Uh, we believe you can speak and work within your church, use your church in this hour. We want to say that we are receptive to you, that we are embracing of you. I pray for the renewing of minds this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Up until this point in the book of Hebrews, the author has not come right out and said it, but it's sort of implied throughout the text. He says things like, in chapter 2, verse 1, pay close attention to the message you've heard, lest you drift away. Chapter 3, consider Jesus, in verse 8, don't harden your hearts like Israel did. Chapter 3, verse 12, take care lest you have an evil heart of unbelief. Chapter 4, fear lest you fail to enter God's rest. Chapter 4, verse 11, be diligent to enter God's rest lest you fall by disobedience. And verse 14, hold fast to your confession. So he hasn't named the disease, but there's a lot of therapy going on, a lot of medicine, a lot of effort to fix something. Between the lines, you kind of know what it is, but it's named here in verse 11, concerning him, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, it says. So there's a spiritual disease. You can hear it in all those commands. Pay close attention. Consider, hold fast, don't harden, fear, be diligent. They become dull of hearing. So the question for you as you sit and listen with your hearing this morning, do you have the common, contagious, chronic, won't go away by itself, spiritual sickness called dullness of hearing that the author of Hebrews is so concerned with? And if something in you right now, just upon hearing that phrase, as scripture plainly puts it, dullness of hearing, if something in you just goes, yeah, that's me, I don't need the sermon, then I encourage you as I preach and as I unfold this text with, with you today, just be praying like, Align yourself with the Lord. Like, hearken back to last week about being able to approach the throne room of God and pray earnestly. He is your help. He is your ever-present help in times of trouble. And if you know something is not right in you, I would encourage you to, like, kind of uh, be aware that you came here today to expose yourself to the Word of God already. So just pray alongside that effort that you already made. Lord, heal me. Heal this dull of hearing that I have. Come to the table. He loves you. 
He really, he, love, he loves you and he wants to have reconciliation with you. So if you have this, 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 this thing, dullness of hearing, just pray as I preach today. All right, let's get into it. Let's study it. So let's take the two words mentioned in this thing, dullness and hearing. Why? Because we want to understand the spiritual sickness that the author is so concerned with, that he's finally stated, and then the remedy. Each of these words are mentioned one other time in the book of Hebrews. And if we go to that other place where it's mentioned, it can shed meaning back on the spiritual illness. We can shed light back on the meaning of the spiritual illness. So what does dullness of hearing really mean? Let's go to the one other place where dullness is used. It's forward in chapter 6. The writer says, We desire each of you to show the same diligence. There's the opposite of the word dullness used in chapter 5. We desire each of you to show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope to the end that you may not be sluggish. Sluggish here is the same word used for the same noun in dullness of hearing in chapter 5. And the author says, but rather than be sluggish in this way, rather than be apathetic or dull, be imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. And I know this is a bit fluffy language to a degree, so I want to break it down even further. I want to make it a little bit more understandable. It's helpful to understand a thing if you can state what the opposite is. That's how I teach my seven-year-old son, Wesley, the meaning of words all the time. So if, if Wesley says, uh, Dad, Mom mentioned in the kitchen that we're having kale for dinner. What is kale? I might say, well, son, kale is the opposite of good. <laughs> kale is, is, is the opposite of good tasting, so to speak. See how that works? It'd be a terrible explanation, but we are given the opposite of dullness, of hearing, uh, twice in these two verses of chapter 6, which we just read, which we can learn from in the defining of it. Diligence is what turns a message of hope, so that's not in you, it's external, it's a message that you hear, into something that happens spiritually in you, which is assurance of hope. You have assurance of hope born in you. And these are people who have heard already and accepted the message of hope. But uh, the author is worried that the other thing isn't happening in them, the assurance of hope. So the word of God is, is saying the message, the truth of God comes in the ear and it goes down into the hoping faculty. That's what the Bible calls the heart. And it either meets a warm and open and embracing heart and therein assurance of hope is born or there's dullness and unresponsiveness. And uh, it's just another Sunday. You hear the word of God, it's just another Sunday. And it doesn't produce anything. The message goes in, you hear the word, you read the word, you receive maybe a word from the Lord specifically for you, nothing happens. So dullness is a condition of the heart where uh, one hears the word, the word from the Lord. It's so unattentive, unresponsive, undesiring that a message of hope doesn't produce anything. Like in verse 12, it says, uh, faith and patience. There's a terrible kind of deafness at the spiritual level, to the word of God. And so just to hammer this point home, now let's take a, th a look at the word hearing. We just looked at dullness. Let's go to the other place in Hebrews where the word hearing is used. It's in chapter four. Indeed, we have good news preached to us. So here comes the word, here comes the promises, here comes the, the gospel preached into the ear. We have good news preached to us just as they also, they meaning God's people, and they also had the truth preached to them. But the word they heard, heard literally 
meaning in the Greek, the word of hearing. That's the same noun that we get in chapter 5, verse 11, the dullness of hearing. But the word of hearing or the word they heard from God did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So you have exactly the same diagnosis here. Here comes a word, word preached, word read, gospel promise goes into the ear, into a deeper non-physical reality, spiritual reality that we as humans are, and it didn't unite with faith. It just hit something hard, hit something uh, calloused, hit something maybe bored. This is why hardness of heart is such a big issue in this book. Don't harden your hearts. Instead of something soft and warm and eager, thirsting for righteousness, it says, come on in, word. Come on in, truth. I take you in. I feed on you. That's the opposite of dullness of hearing. A word is heard with the hearing of your ear, the physical ear, but when it comes to the spiritual receptacle, as the author is describing it here, there's dullness. No spiritual fruit, and that's the disease. And it's going to happen the same way over and over and over again until the disease is remedied because it's chronic the condition doesn't go away randomly. Deaf people are some of the best hearers of the word. Blind people are some of the best seers of the light of God. This is not a physical problem. This is a spiritual state. You, when you hear the word of God and you just go, when does service get out? Like, when, when can I just, like, not be around these weird believers anymore? And, and when can I just, like, stop praying and hearing the word of God and, like, worshiping? This is a spiritual state you might find yourself in that might feel casual and a bit bored. Not that big of a deal, but the, but the author here is describing a very serious issue. He's saying just the opposite of what you might feel. This is a very threatening, this is a very big deal. Hebrews chapter 4 begins with, Therefore let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you might seem to have come short of it. And then right after he talks about that fear, we get into chapter 4, verses 2-3, which is what we read prior to that, which is what it looks like to hear the word of God and have it just fall flat, have nothing happen, not be struck by it. This is not only serious, this is the origin of all disobedience, which makes it lethal. Let me explain. Look at chapter 3, just a few verses earlier from what we just read. To whom did God swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. He makes a direct connection from disobedience to unbelief, a failure of the heart, the condition we're talking about, to accept and take in the word of God. It's the origin of disobedience, a heart that is not resting in, believing in, cherishing, treasuring the word of God, cannot obey God. And so a dullness of hearing, it's a lethal spiritual disease because it keeps you out of the rest of God because it yields nothing. You might have the good news, the good news that changed the trajectory of human history forever. But dullness yields no fruit. It's not going to do much in you. No faith is produced. And when there's no faith, there's no obedience. When there's no obedience, you read in verse 18, they will not enter his rest. This is so dangerous how we're wired as human beings. I live uh, 10 minutes south of here in Cudahy. I live close to like what I would call a, uh, an airplane freeway. 
They fly right over my house. And when I first, they, they kind of like shake the foundation of my home every day. When I first moved in, I was like, did I make a mistake? I can't hear myself think. It's so loud. When I was outside with people, I sort of like paused. I stopped my conversation and let the large flying machines do their thing, respect the large machines in the air. It's very loud. But if I use my imagination, it's, it's like a steady roar, kind of like if I live by the ocean. The point is, now, after five years, I don't hear it anymore. And if that's the word of God, I'd be in big trouble. It's like music at the dentist office. Seldom do you say, I love that song. It's more like, oh yeah, there's music playing. Or at the airport, do not leave baggage unattended. You don't hear it anymore. Verse 11, you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Let's look at verse 13 again. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. One question for us today. What's so wrong with being a baby? Why is that a disease, Jesse? There's nothing sick about being a baby. Why use the negative language of disease and not the sweet little image of babyhood? In verse 13, the dull of hearing are compared to infants, not cancer patients, to which I would respond, yes. That is true, but a 15-year-old baby is diseased. It's not wrong to be a baby unless you've been in the world for 15 years. Then you're sick if you're a baby. There's something wrong. There was nothing wrong with these, there was nothing wrong with these churches, so they thought, except for that they heard the word, and as the author says, you're not, you're not taking it in. They were going, we have the right way. We have the, the, the principles, which actually we're going to talk about next week a little bit. We have um, the principles with which the gospel was, was fulfilled. But then after that, they're dull of hearing, the author says. So there's an issue. These, these people that, the, author, that the, the book of Hebrews was written to, they, they, they knew the Jewish scriptures. They understood the Hebrew, the Jewish worldview. But they were returning to the Jewish worldview because they were undergoing persecution. They were undergoing a pressure. And they were saying to themselves, you know, it might be easier if we just, just do the Jewish faith rather than the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, which is Christ. There was something wrong in them that when they were learning these new things of the gospel, they went, now let's return to what we knew. They were staying baby Christians rather than teenage Christians, rather than adult Christians. This disease that the author is talking about is implicit. We understand it as a disease because of the lengthy babyhood. We all know that a 15-year-old baby is a very sick baby. If you're not maturing and growing in your faith, something is wrong. And the author of Hebrews is sounding that alarm, sounding that alert. Something is wrong. 
That's not supposed to be the norm. The maturing process happening should be normal. That's what the writer's saying. And I want to add to this. If you're not growing as a Christian by, by just getting older, that's because you don't simply grow as a Christian by getting older. There are other things that need to take place. You just get older. You don't grow automatically. There are immature elderly Christians. We should never stop growing spiritually. It doesn't matter how old you are. You should not be coasting. We should not be coasting on the reservoir of our past. You should be constantly growing and asking God, what are you teaching me today? How might I be more conformed into the image of your son, Jesus? And I'll add this. Spiritual maturity is ultimately your responsibility. The pastor has a role to play. The church has a role to play. The elders, the deacons, the community group leaders have a role to play. The local church is God's plan for his people to be in and minister in. They have a significant role. But at the end of the day, your spiritual maturity is dependent on you taking the necessary steps to grow in Christ. What I mean is the church can offer all these various ways to grow and learn about God. But if you never take that class or be a part of a community group wherein you can minister to others, if you never take part in the Bible study, if you never take opportunities to become a fervent worshiper of God through practice, if you do not try and effort to be a a vessel or a conduit of God's spirit by, by being a hearer of his spirit and an imparter of his spirit in community through practice and consistency, it's not going to happen by itself. If you never put in the effort, you might just become a finger pointer. That's why I'm not becoming mature. Like my seven-year-old son, Wesley, to pick on him again. When he's acting like a baby, you, you better bet nine times out of ten it's his sister's fault. There's nothing wrong with being a baby, but just like give me a subtle nod right now if you know men and women who are grown adults who really want to not have this, this other part of the, they know their life isn't working, so they really want to try and listen to the word and be a part of spiritual community be a part of the body of believers, be worshipers, be hearers of the word, followers of the word. They really want to, but it just falls flat on their heart. Regardless of their knowledge, the message, the hope of God, maybe they've heard a lot of sermons. It just, they're stuck in a spiritual state and they can't get out of it. It's like, it's like a state that they're stuck in, stuck in regardless of their desire, regardless of what they want. I mean, to get really raw and, and frank here, um, just uh, two months ago, about, I had a friend um, perish, like literally physically pass away. The last couple times that I met with him, he was saying, I know I, that I, sh- I need to be a part of spiritual community. And quite frankly, the reasons that I haven't been going to Mercy Hill, they're excuses. Uh, in fact, it's really ironic because we're in the book of Hebrews, he was getting really interested in the ways that Christians in his mind should be more Jewish and celebrate Jewish holidays in really specific ways. Specific ways that the Apostle Paul addresses to you don't have to anymore in other epistles. 
And I was arguing with him. I was like, dude, yeah. Like, honestly, I didn't really have to argue with him that hard because he was like sort of proving the argument. He was sort of proving the point. He's like, I know they're just excuses and I'm just getting legalistic. And I was like, yeah, you are. And he had this, uh, this past, this history with opioids. And he was like, I need to be in spiritual community and I need to go to God, not the chemicals in my brain and make them God. And sure enough, um, he just took the wrong pill with the wrong extra crumb of fentanyl. And now I don't get to meet with him anymore. And he himself was like, I want to be in spiritual community. But he said when he came here, it was just like eating glass and cardboard. He would get angry when the word of God was preached. He would get angry when psalms were sung about Jesus. And I was like, dude, let's, let's pray. Let's get together and just like, I don't know. Let's just pray. Like it seems really desperate. And, and now I don't, I, don't get, I don't get to. And maybe that's a loss uh, that's, that's on me or whatever, but it's just like a reality that a lot of us know. We know grown adults that are stuck in a baby spiritual state and they don't want to be. It's almost like a chronic disease. So that's the disease. That's a spiritual disease, dullness of hearing. So what's the remedy? Verse 14 is the closest summary of it. Let's look at verse 14 for the rest of our time to look at this possible remedy. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses. Let's pause. The word senses here is a very rare Greek word, appears nowhere else in the New Testament. It does not refer to physical senses like seeing and hearing and tasting and touching. It refers to spiritual capacities for judgment. Again, solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their spiritual senses trained to discern good and evil. So the question I ask at this point, and I want you to ask, is if solid food is only palatable and digestible for the mature, with what do you feed on to become mature so that you can digest solid food? And the answer is milk, which means that the problem in this text, the problem with these churches, is not that the milk is weak. It's not that the milk can't do this. You've got to have milk to become mature, at which point solid food becomes digestible. The problem It's not that the milk is not adequate or nutritional or doesn't make good bones or make people grow or make the organs grow. That's not the problem. Neither is the problem that Liz and Jordan's new baby or Dalus and Pav's new baby or Dan and Taylor's new baby or Matt and Amanda's new baby. We got a lot of new babies around here. It's not the problem that they can't eat steak. It's not a problem for those babies that they can't throw down a T-bone. If they all have good milk and eat no steak but they fail to grow, something else is wrong. The milk is not the problem. The lack of eating solid food is not the problem. The problem for these Christians hearing these words in the book of Hebrews is what they're doing with the milk of the word of God. The milk of the kindness of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Like simple yet profound stuff. 1 Peter 2 says this, like newborn infants desire the spiritual, sincere spiritual milk of the word that you may buy it, grow up into salvation. There's nothing inadequate about the milk. Milk will grow you up and make you mighty in the word. It comes down to what you do with the milk. Let's look at verse 14. 
Look carefully at this. Because of practice, the mature, now those now capable of eating solid food, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. This is amazing. This is really amazing. Get this now in verse 14. The discernment of good and evil, let's say your ability to like WWJD, we'll get more into that. The discernment of good and evil comes from spiritual senses that are grown in you when you take in the milk of the word of God and begin to exercise it and put it to use. If I learn about God's goodness and that he's in control, like his sovereignty, simple, basic Christianity stuff, and I let that affect my worry and anxiety and just how I feel about the day, then when I wake up, I might not just go to my pet sins to cope with my worry and anxiety, but I might wake up and go, Lord, I'm glad I get to talk to you. I'm glad I get to be current with you. I'm going to praise you in the morning. Your mercies are new every morning. Simple, profound stuff that is so unlike the pessimism and the cynicism of the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of man. Then when I move on to weightier theology, the, the simple milk of the word, the simple truths of God will be like scaffolding for my soul so that I might climb to weightier things. When you digest the simplicity and the profundity of just who God really is, when you feed on the basics of God properly, accept them, drink them, let them work in you, not just spit them up and waste them, it will mature you spiritually. I've probably at this point triggered all the parents or the people who sort of used to be parents. Uh, you're remembering images of your, of your child spitting up all the nutrients you worked so hard to, to give them. As a parent, uh, if your infant, if your baby is, is not taking in the milk that you worked so hard to give them, you get concerned. How are you going to grow, little baby, without that milk? So the, what the writer is saying is true. A lot goes on before you can handle Melchizedek. It says in chapter 5, or election, or definite atonement, or the glory of Christ crucified to impute righteousness for his people. Verse 14 is saying, solid food is for people who, through practice with the milk of the word, have been trained in their senses inwardly to make discerning judgments about good and evil, and then they're ready for solid food. It doesn't say after you go to school, after you take the right courses, after you get the right IQ, then you can handle doctrine. It's shocking to me. Um, I went to school with uh, a pe people, a group, a group of guys in my cohort that I would consider geniuses. Uh, they were so fun to argue with. They, they, they were all smarter than me, and so were my professors. They were just eggheads. I, I, I could tell you stories, but I don't have time. I just loved hashing out the word with these guys, but it was their intellectuals. For, for a lot of them, it was their intellectual pride. It was their very intellect that in the end ruined their faith. It didn't matter their intelligence. And let me tell you what, departing from belief and devotion to Jesus has not benefited them the way things have panned out. Yet there are saints who feed with pleasure and profit from the weightiest teachings of the Bible. But that's primarily a moral and spiritual fitness that comes from what you do with the milk of the word, the simplest things of God, put into practice. Not learning and memorizing as much information as fast as you can. Not jumping from milk to meat as fast as you can to win arguments with Christians 
We are prone to think as the world does. You got a problem? Fix it with intellect. Tommy, uh, Pastor Tommy quoted Charles Spurgeon uh, last week. He's a pastor from London 100 years ago. Charles Spurgeon said that uh, he learned most of his weighty theology from a kitchen maid named Mary who had never been to school a day in her life because her heart was so supple in the hands of God that when she read a Romans 9 or Hebrews 7, everything in her was spring-loaded to see and understand and receive and put together all of it with the other glories in the Bible. And there was no rebellion, no hindrance, just welcoming to God's word and the practice of God's word. Church, there is not a correlation between intellect and the capacity to grasp the greatness of God. Education, I highly recommend it. Devoting your mind and your time to a practice, including the Bible, that is a good use of your time. But sometimes the reason we can't grasp or possibly believe certain doctrines is because we're so wired towards self-exaltation and self-determination that when a God-centered Bible lands in our laps, it can't possibly mean what it says. Like pray with faith, believing in Jesus' name for a miracle. Rejoice always. Shout with joy unto the Lord. Trust in the Lord in all your ways. A lot of times it's really not an intellectual issue that's keeping us from maturing. We may frame it like an intellectual issue. Like I must first consider for five years and read many books before I can engage in community or worship with abandon. We frame it like an intellectual issue, but often it's a deep moral, spiritual issue in us, even a distaste, sometimes a hatred in what Scripture just plainly says. So in order to address our dull of hearing condition, many of us, we need to return to and embrace just the simplest things of the Lord. Return to the basics. Verse 12, let's revisit the passage. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk, not solid food. When we read this, we often read this passage like sarcasm with our own sort of voice and filter going through it. Oh, he's saying like, you need solid food, or sorry, you need milk, not solid food because you're an infant. It's not sarcasm. He's being serious. A lot of us need milk and not solid food. The milk of the word of the Lord. Christians, snatch it at every piece of truth that comes near you, especially the simple stuff, feed on it. Drink on the milk. Don't be resistant to the milk. Give heed to the milk. Don't be distracted. These little babies that, are, that I mentioned earlier that are born into our community this very month, oh boy, they're going to get thirsty. And they are going to probably at 3 a.m. wake up the entire home and make everybody miserable until their thirst is satisfied. They're going to win every time, probably, as of course they should, with their rooting reflexes and their latching. They're going to be focused and nothing else is going to distract them until their hunger is satisfied. Be like that. We sometimes think that being an infant, being a baby on milk is a negative picture in the Bible. It is not. You are commanded, eagerly desire the sincere spiritual milk of the word that you may grow up thereby. First Peter 2. Being baby-like in the way that you feed in the word is good. So church, be like the babies in the mother room, mother's room that we can hear, you know, through the walls of the sanctuary sometimes. Ah, I gotta have it. Be like that. 
with the milk of the word of God. Treat preaching that way. Treat the Bible that way. Treat great Christian books that way. Treat Christian community iron sharpening iron that way. Don't be dull and distractive and passive, just kind of going and drifting and coasting along from one thing another to another. TV puts in one thing and radio puts in another thing and people at your work put in another thing and you have no active, vigorous pursuit of the word of God. I'll close with this. When the word of God comes in and it's received not with dullness, but with baby-like thirstiness and receptivity, and it seeps down into the crevices of your heart where you've been hurt or sinful, and it begins to do its, its satisfying healing work, you become different. You're shaped by that milk. And when you become different, you can then smell or sense what is good. What is evil? You can distinguish between it. You can sniff it out. Everybody in this room knows, if you reflect for a minute with me, that 95% of the decisions we make every day are not spelled out in the Bible. When to murder, when to commit adultery, I don't need discernment for that. There's a list. God gave me that list. I just don't do those things. God said to not. But what media to consume? what apps to leave on my phone and engage in, for how long, what people to pour into, or what people to leave even at a distance, what investment strategies to pursue, what to report on my taxes, what choice of where to live, what to drive, whether to own a weapon, what kind of weapon, how many weapons, what to dwell on, what news to consume, how much of it, how to spend, save, give your money. These are just decisions that are simply not spelled out in the Bible is all that I'm saying. And so, how to proceed, what to do, what are you going to do? There's only one hope. Become a kind of person that can discern between good and evil. Become a kind of person that fed so deeply on the milk that your senses, as verse 14 exhorts, by practicing and handling the milk, your senses, your spiritual senses, are transformed. Just like Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. Same thing, wherein you can, you in, wherein you can discern between good and evil, where you just sense it. Even before you can articulate the reason for it in your mind, You just know. Discernment is what happens, what you do naturally when the milk of God, of God's promises are so savored and satisfying that they give you the mind of Christ. I encourage you, people of God, ask him then, even now, in humility, if you're able to, Lord, help me not be dull of hearing to your truth, but rather that I may hunger for it again. Help me thirst for righteousness Help me take the simplest things about you seriously and apply them to the foundation of my faith. Lord, help me not need so much novelty or newness for my attention and my devotion. Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation that I might grow and put into practice the basics of my faith. And press on then to maturity or whatever else you have for me. A lot of us in this room, we become a bit bored with the basics of our faith. And we've moved on to complex, interesting theology, listening to 
podcasts that are having to do with weightier theology, and that's cool, and that's good. But like, don't ever neglect the basic things of our faith. Some of us do need to return to the word of the milk of God, and that's okay. Don't feel like overly shamed by my referencing Hebrews and preaching from it today. Just feel realistic. Like, Lord, am I dull of hearing? Do I, am I, am I just like not taking in your word anymore? One possible reason might be that it's not time, it's not a season for you to be in mature and complex things of the Lord, like Melchizedek and election and atonement. Have you guys ever read like a, a really complex theological book? Any of us? Cool. If you're reading complex theology, that, which is cool. Like if you're reading complex theology, make sure it's not just like a hobby that you can sort of argue with friends. Make sure it's, it's all built up in the natural scaffolding of your faith and you have the basics in place. Does that make sense? Like if you know and trust and believe in the Lord and you're walking in step with his, with his spirit and you're intimately a part of his church and his plan and you're ministering to others, then like read a whole book about Melchizedek. Get super, get super nerdy with it. That's cool. But they call, people call seminary cemetery for a reason. It is to, to pursue higher learning if the basics of your faith are not in place is a destroyer of faith. And I've seen it a hundred times in my life. And it's really sad. We are not just like a philosophy group where we get together and believe the right things and that's it. There is a living God with a living spirit who's alive today. Like make sure that you have relationship with him and talk to him and share everything about your life and that he is Lord, not just that you ascribe belief to him and you send a belief to him, but that you have like a loving relationship and with the God and then, then get super nerdy and it's great. In a few minutes, there are people that are going to be up here uh, and they're praying people and they believe God at his word when God says, I want to partner with you in prayer and I answer prayer. And that's how I'm going to move. That's how I'm going to create difference. How, it's how I'm going to intervene. I would encourage you, especially if you have not prayed with a prayer partner that's going to be up here in a few minutes, I would encourage you, just try it out. Step out in faith. That's like basic milk to their faith. Pray with others. And that's why they're up here. It's part of their ministry. It's part of what they're called to. So I really encourage you to do that. Let's stand together now and worship God. Ascribe him the praise that he deserves in your heart. Not only with the music and the noise that we're going to make in this room, but each individually in spirit and in truth in our heart from a place of honesty. Lord, I really do believe you are holy. I really do believe you are better. I really do believe you are powerful and good. And I give my life to you. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church.